Have you ever been really, really hungry? You're listening to Casting Lots, a survival cannibalism podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Carmela. And now let's tuck in to the gruesome history of this ultimate taboo. Welcome to episode four, where we're moving out to sea to talk about the Luxborough Galley. Would you like to hear about the Luxborough Galley? Tell me more. Okay, so the Luxborough Galley was a 26-gun ship employed by the South Sea Company. So I don't know much about ships, but is 26-gun big? I mean, big? it's not that big. Okay. I mean, there's 26 guns. How many people are on the Luxborough Galley? That's yeah, probably guess... giving you a better range of how big she is. Well, there were a lot at the moment. There's only... At the moment, I assume there's none. (laughs) (laughs) Very good point. Well, she's a slave trader, so she's presumably got a big hold. Maybe they need fewer guns because they're more concerned about, you know, kidnapping people and fitting them in the hold. So she is employed as a British slaver, and her role at the moment is... At the moment, she's at the bottom of the sea. At the moment in our story... The time that our story takes place, oh, that she's, was good. She's employed to transport slaves from Angola to Jamaica, and then sugar and run from Jamaica back to Britain. So she's doing the, the triangle. I know that we said in earlier episodes that we were going to have sympathy for our victims and be respectful, but I mean, most of them are literal slavers, in this case, because this happens post Jamaica, so everyone aboard is just the crew. So. Um, Am I going to be sympathetic? The thing that we're not judging is the cannibalism. I feel we can judge everything else. Yeah, we're judging the slave trade. Yes. So she's done the first two legs of her triangle and is now sailing from Jamaica back to Britain. She's loaded up with rum and sugar. And so she sets sail from Jamaica on the 23rd of May, 1727. On board, we have Captain William Kellaway. Three mates, including his brother Ralph Kellaway, and also William Boys. And William Boys is going to become important later in the story because he's the one telling it. I'm telling it. I'm telling his version of the story. I am William Boys. <laughs> We're all just a bit giddy today. We've got five officers and 27 other crew members, including seven ship's boys. Six of the ship's boys are black, and the seventh is a nephew of the Kellaways. Okay, okay. See if you can predict which one will survive. Ooh, I can't work it out. Here, I'll interject to say about 27 out of five. That's a decently sized sort of crew. It's not a massive ship, but it's doing all right for itself. It's a ship, not a boat. It's a ship. Oh, don't get me started on is it a ship or is it a boat? Literally don't. <laughs> I cover it in one of my scripts later on in the series. There's also two gentlemen passengers and a servant travelling with them. I don't know who these gentlemen are, but that's how they're described by William Boys. They're just gentlemen. Mysterious gentlemen of the night. Is it Dracula? It doesn't say. That's exactly what it would say if it was Dracula. They do drink blood later. 
I rest my case. Spoilers. <laughs> so, they're sailing along. On the 25th of June, two of the ship's boys are sent to the store for some rum. They discover a pool of liquid on the floor, and they're not sure if it's water or spirit. So they decide to test it by holding a candle to it. I'm not going to recommend bad scientific theory, but also just taste it. It's either going to be water, alcohol, or like bilge. It's not going to be pleasant. It's just don't light it on fire. It could be we. You don't want to... <laughs> uh, hopefully not in the storeroom. I don't know what men are like. As it turns out, as I'm sure you can predict, it is in fact spirit and catches a light because spirit plus candle equals boom. Yeah. The boys try to put out the flames, but when they aren't successful, they go and hide rather than telling anyone because they're too afraid of punishment to report the accident, which probably indicates how they're treated on the ship. Yeah. Just say, I don't actually know how old any of the ship's boys are because, of course, ship's boy, you know, sometimes they're like an 18-year-old young man rather than a child, and sometimes they are a child. From the behaviour, I'm going to assume they're maybe a bit younger. I mean, they went and hid. Yeah. Around noon, the cook discovers flames in the forecastle and raises the alarm. Fire, 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 fire. We can't afford sound effects. Historical reenactment at its finest. So our second mate and hero, William Boys, and three of the other officers go below to find the storeroom ablaze. Sorry, is our hero, William Boys, also the man who writes the story at the end? Yes, that's why he's the hero. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Yes, so listen out, because William Boys is going to be very intelligent, heroic, brave, just better than everyone else on board. Modest, too. Modest, too. So... If you're thinking William Boyd's actual superhero, I think we we can understand why that might be the impression of him. Yay, William Boyd! We all love William Boyd! Yay! It's also going to get confusing if I refer to ships boys and William boys, which boys I'm talking about. There's a lot of boys on this boat. <laughs> I'll call him William. Willie B. We are on first name terms. <laughs> You are him reincarnated. We have covered this. It's true. They discover the storeroom ablaze and they attempt to stifle it with rugs, blankets and their own clothes. They start stripping off and putting clothes on the flames to try and smother them. That is taking the instruction of the famous ballad. It's getting hot in here, so let's take off all our clothes. Very literally. <laughs> <laughs> So elsewhere on the ship, they decide to start pumping water, obviously, to put out the flames, but it's quite slow progress. So the captain has this brilliant idea that they're going to cut a scuttle through the forecastle deck to pour water directly onto the fire. But before they can pour any water onto the fire, what it does is bring lots of fresh oxygen in downstairs and just makes the fire a lot bigger and worse. Yeah. Science. Science. So while struggling with this, William and co have ordered the men on deck to ready the boats. So they've got a yule and a longboat. Again, I'm not sure what a yule is. I know what a longboat is. It's an emergency boat. I get the impression it's quite small. When William and his friends finally abandon their efforts to put out the fire, <laughs> now semi-naked <laughs> and very warm, <laughs> um, <laughs> when they then come up above deck expecting to find the boats all nice and ready they actually find that nobody's bothered with that 
and the captain and crew are lying about weeping, praying, and doing nothing to save themselves. Cowards. According to William. Oh no, we're all gonna die. Oh, William, save us, save us, William. Well, luckily he does step up. He takes charge and prepares the tackle for the Yule all on his own. I, I, I call bullshit to that. Yeah, I'm gonna say every time that I say William does this, William does that, we can interpret it as someone did this. This thing was done by somebody. Whether it was William or not is a good question. Like, you kind of need more than one person to ready a boat to leave a ship. Especially, I hasten to point out, if the ship's on fire. And you're half naked. <laughs> and you're half naked. Sp- imagine the splinters. Ooh. <laughs> so as they scuffle to launch the Yule, one of the four oars goes overboard and they lose that. So Bye. they've only got three out of four now. And William and eight of the men get on board. However, the men are needed to help with the longboat still. So William says, get back on the ship, guys. And they'll only do it if William goes back with them. So he magnanimously agrees that he will go back into danger to help with the longboat. However, as they are trying to reboard, the captain comes down into the yule and says, the longboat's on fire, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just get going. More people join them on the boat, so we get 22 men and boys total. So it's very, very cramped. Oh, we've lost some. Yes, there are still some on board the ship, including Kellaway's brother, Ralph. So Captain Kellaway is there on the longboat. He calls out to Ralph and says, come and join us. Ralph says, the Yule's already far too low in the water. It's not going to make it as it is. If the rest of them get on board, it's just going to sink completely. He decides to continue trying to launch the blazing longboat with the remaining number of men. So the 16 men and boys left aboard, almost succeeding getting it over the side, even though it's on fire. But then it gets too hot and it falls back onto the deck and they have to give up. Yeah, this isn't going to end well. No. Well, within half an hour, the ship is entirely aflame. The remaining crew are probably dead. They haven't made it onto the yawl. They will certainly be dead soon, if not. And the men on the yawl are forced to move further out to sea to keep afloat. It takes three hours for the gunpowder to catch a light, and then the ship explodes. Boom. See, if this wasn't a slaving ship, that would have been a very inappropriate sound effect. But as it is, we can get away with it. Unfortunately, the fact that it's now exploded means that they can't go back and scavenge for supplies or survivors or anything like that. So what they have on the boat is what they have upon their persons. And only some of their clothes. Yeah, so to recap, we've got 22 men and boys packed together on the Yule. I've got the size written down, 16 foot by 5 foot. That's cramped. (laughs) So among them we've got Captain Kellaway, we've got William Boys. Of course Uh, we do. My ancestor. (laughs) Rugged hero, I'm imagining some ash over his face, his hair. It's obviously long, it's come slightly out of its ponytail. He's like the cover of a Bills and... Bills? (laughs) Bills and Boone. Bills and Boone. Bills and Boone. (laughs) Our new knockoff erotica company. (laughs) The cannibalism erotica company. Oh dear, okay. Well, we knew where that was going, but I think Bills and Boone is just, you know, the peak of comedy, so I'm going to stop there, Bills and Boone. We got three of the other officers, the two gentlemen passengers both made it, four boys, including Robert Kellaway, the captain's nephew, 
and the two boys who accidentally set fire to the rum in the first place. I'm confused. I thought the nephew was still on the ship. No, the brother is on the ship. Oh, damn, he's got a lot of family. Yeah. Not for long. <laughs> <laughs> Not for long. They've got no food, no water, no navigational equipment. As I said before, some of them aren't fully dressed. William is only in a shirt and his drawers. Yeah, sexily sweaty. Oh, good stuff for our cover. <laughs> Can we do some posters for this podcast? Can we have a competition? Fan art competition. Fan art competition. Submit to Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram. Come up with the title yourselves. In fact, why not open it up? Fanfic as well. Art, fanfic, give us the Bills and Boone cannibalism erotica that we all deserve. This doesn't help our case when we say that we're not weird. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. In terms of location, they're over 120 leagues from land, which is 400-ish miles for those of us who don't know how big a league is. They're in the sea. They're in the sea. The first two days, the sea is very rough and stormy, and they don't really have time to catch rainwater or anything because they're too busy panicking. Having just said they're in the sea, can I ask a stupid question? Mm Mm-hmm. Which sea? the Atlantic it must be if they're coming from Jamaica okay yes it's the Atlantic slave trade yeah that makes sense on day three it calms down a bit and they rouse themselves enough to start actually doing stuff so they scavenge together their remaining shirts and bits of ore (laughs) and make a sail sensible luckily one of the boys had some sewing supplies on his person in his pockets So they're able to sew together the sail and stitch everything. And they build up the sides of the boat a bit to keep out the sea. Luckily, before they were wrecked, William had completed his daily readings because he was just so good like that. So he knows that Newfoundland is somewhere to the north. So they're going to navigate by the stars and steer in that direction. I'd like to point out that I know Newfoundland is somewhere to the north and we're currently in London. Yeah, it's, it's... Guys, it's cool. I did my readings. we got to go north. <laughs> We've got to get to the nearest land. Groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah. He's such a hero. So... Oh, William, William, oh, what would we do without you? William, William, yay! We're so respectful. <laughs> On day five, it begins to storm again, which is an issue in this overloaded boat. There's a lot of problems with flooding and some of the men suggest that maybe they should throw overboard the two black ships boys who caused the fire Mm. yeah of course the heroic william intercedes to say that that would be wrong and instead they should cast lots name drop (laughs) (laughs) sorry i'm on slightly that would be wrong but we're going to be a slaving ship Yeah. There's nothing funny to say here. People are awful. Let's see how the lottery allocation goes. Well, actually, they have a stroke of luck. One of the boys and one of the crewmen happen to die in the night anyway, so no one has to make that decision, because there's two dead bodies already. How long have they been at sea? This is day five. That's quick. It is quick. They could have burn injuries. That's true. It's hard to say. Or it's mysterious. Well, I suppose they don't have a lot of food. They have zero food and zero water. 
Okay, fair. Normally people are a bit more prepared. Normally, yeah, they have at least some food and some water. So they get thrown overboard to make a bit more space in the boat. Sorry, sorry, what were we just talking about? I know, I know, it's a cannibalism podcast and these guys are like, they don't even think of it yet. So, after all of that build-up, they were casting lots just to throw people over the side. Yes, they weren't casting lots for dinner just yet. The following day, three more men die raving from dehydration. I did some air quotes, raving is William's term for it. Yeah, yeah, dehydration. Everyone else is feeling its effects and several men try to jump overboard to get some relief in the water and have to be held back. Oh, oh, do you want a fun fact about dehydration? Yes. Once you lose 15 to 20% of your body weight in water, it is fatal. In a maritime context, a.k.a. stuck in a boat with it not going overly well, the effects of dehydration to get to that 15-20% status take six days. So we are getting very, very, very close. Yeah. They are drinking their own urine. Some of them are drinking seawater, which is... Don't do that. No, don't do that. Luckily, it is quite foggy, so they're able to collect a little fresh water in the sails and wring it out into a basin and have a little drink of that. Of course, it means they can't see the stars anymore, so... Whether they're going north or not is unknown. I'm sure William knows. I'm okay. sure that his innate spirit is guiding him to salvation. I expect so. So now that they've got a bit of fog water to drink, the next problem is that they're hungry, of course. So the ship surgeon is the first person to suggest eating the bodies of the dead. I guess as a surgeon, you're used to that kind of thing. What do you think they learn in medical school? like here are the tasty bits so he tries to lead by example they threw over the first two bodies it seems like the other three bodies they've kept on board that's sensible if they're overcrowded yeah well it's probably that the ship surgeon went hey hang on a sec what do you think you're doing there yeah so he tries to lead by example but he can only manage two mouthfuls before he has to turn away and weep with horror at himself which doesn't set a great example for the men after some experimentation, they find that the hearts are a bit more palatable, so they eat three of those. Um, <laughs> well, there are only three of them, I presume. Well, interestingly, they claim to drink the blood of four men total, but I guess more men die later. They're draining blood from the bodies, they're slitting the throats, and then catching it in a pewter basin to drink. That's good. It's all about the details. They're standards. They also try to fish using parts of the bodies for bait. Sensible! Yeah. Thank you! They're very unsuccessful and they don't seem to catch a single fish, unfortunately. At least they tried. They, they showed winning. In later weeks, you will hear me ranting about fishing. It will come up again. First sensible decision they've made. After a week, so it's the 2nd of July now, they're down to 12 men because the others have died, died and been eaten. There's some more bad weather and they're constantly bailing water out of the boat and they've also started to hallucinate the sights and sounds of other ships in the fog. Probably. That's beautiful. <laughs> Probably because of the dehydration. Thank you, Alex. You're welcome. I wish we could afford sound effects. 
So by the 6th of July, two more men have died. The survivors are delighted to find a dead duck in the water. Now, I don't know whether it's something like, I don't know what bird it is, so I'll call it a duck. What a duck is doing that for hours? Like, it messed up badly. Yeah, I was thinking. Well, it's dead, so it's not been that successful. No, this poor duck. They eat it, despite it being, in William's words, green and not sweet. Mm, so it's a, like a manky, mouldy dead duck. I've got a theory. It was actually a turtle. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. I guess it's on the water, so it must be a duck. (laughs) I'm sure William knows all the types of animals. On the 7th, they give up. They're too weak to throw the bodies overboard, so they're surrounded by half-eaten corpses. And they all just sort of lie down on the bottom of the boat. The captain can't even speak anymore. He's completely gone. Finally, William, or someone anyway, sights land. With their hopes restored, the men are able to throw the remaining bodies overboard and set about rowing with their three oars. They're going in a circle. <laughs> in the afternoon, they meet a fishing boat. So Hail! The fishermen almost refuse to help them because what they see is a boat full of... Corpses. Yeah. Living corpses. Living corpses and eaten corpses. And they don't know, you know, are they Englishmen? Are they... <laughs> That's the problem here. Well, that is the problem here. That's what they're worried that they could be marauding parties from another land. Although, frankly, you'd hope marauders would be slightly more organised than this. Just sort of rocking up with three oars and being like, hi, toots. <laughs> Half naked still. <laughs> oh, but you know William Boys is glowing. He's standing at the prow of the boat, one hand on his hip. Of course. So the fishermen are eventually persuaded to take them on board, which presumably is because they are so stricken by William's heroism. His hair and his shirtlessness. Yeah. So seven surviving men finally reach Newfoundland at 8pm that evening. The people who are left alive, we've got Captain Calloway. Our heroic second mate, William. Of course. The surgeon, the bosun, the carpenter, Callaway's nephew, Robert, and one other seaman who doesn't have a name. He's not important. He's not important. However, Captain Callaway does pass away that night because he's basically dead already. Following the custom of the sea, which shall we talk about later or now? Well, I think we're about to start a lot of fun at sea, so why not now? Okay, so the custom of the sea is basically, if you're at sea... Eat people. Not just eat people. It's not like the minute you get out in the English Channel, you can just start on the person sitting next to you on the ferry. It's not quite like that. It's sort of unofficially accepted that if you're in a starvation situation at sea, you're going to eat your compatriots, and that's fine. I mean, it's not necessarily fine... But it got so recognised that this is what happens during and after shipwrecks and maritime accidents that normally if there were survivors from a shipwreck and they hadn't eaten people, that got commented on. So it did become somewhat of a known event. Have you read On a Tangent, Dark Water by Elizabeth Lowry? It is on my list. Well, the thing is, this is set in mid-Victorian times, and this is spoilers if you haven't read the book, but also you'll see why it's not spoilers in a minute. 
there's this guy who's being cast out to sea and it's, oh, he's mysterious. Oh, what's his secret? And obviously anyone who's familiar with any kind of naval history is like, oh, well, he ate a guy, right? And this is dropped as a plot twist at the end. Like, and then I realised he had eaten that boy. I was like, oh, wow. Wow, you really took that long to figure out this thing that happens in like every survival situation at sea. That is what happens. That is why it is the custom of the sea. It sounds strange to say it really wasn't that unexpected. But, I mean, we have this traditional... I know we're jumping forward a little bit to be more 19th century. But we have this idea that people, especially, let's be honest... Victorian sensibilities, you know, are never going to acknowledge and be horrified. If you read newspaper reports that cover these shipwrecks, while I'm not saying they're explicit and go into the detail that we do, they don't beat around the bush. They are like, they survived by drinking blood. They survived by eating their shipmates. They don't keep this secret which goes to show how much it was a recognised event, because otherwise people would be more horrified by it. Well, not horrified by it, but more secretive about it. This is what happens. The sea is dangerous. Thousands of ships are lost. If anyone survives from these shipwrecks, they've got to get out of that situation somehow. That tends to be cannibalism. I've got a great list somewhere of just how many known cases of cannibalism there are from about the 1700s to the 1900s. Most of them are at sea. And it would be really helpful if, like a true professional, I had it in front of me. But I don't. So we'll put it in the show notes. But... This is by no means unexpected or unheard of. Yeah, so because of that, when they're found, they're not held accountable for what they've done because it's what everyone does. And William even stays in the Navy. He's promoted over the years. Of course Um, he is. He eventually retires as the Lieutenant Governor of Greenwich Hospital. Fun fact. And every year to the date of his death, he would fast for 12 days on the anniversary of the ordeal. What a man. What a man. So that's our story. And I think we can clearly say that William Boy's absolute hero never did anything wrong in his life. If we ignore the fact that he was the second mate on a slave ship. Which we don't. Thank you for listening to today's episode on the Luxborough and the legendary Turtle Duck. Join us next time for a buffet of maritime disaster where we'll be looking at the Francis Fate, the Nottingham Galley and the Sloop the Peggy. Casting Lots podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr as at Casting Lots Pod and on Facebook as Casting Lots Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And please rate, review and share to bring more people to the table. Casting Lots, a survival cannibalism podcast, is research written and recorded by Alex and Carmela, with post-production and editing also by Carmela and Alex. Art and logo design by Riley, at Tallest Friend on Twitter and Instagram, with audio and music by Daniel Wackett. Daniel Wackett on SoundCloud and at DSWack on Twitter. Casting Lots is part of the Morbid Audio Podcast Network. Search hashtag Morbid Audio on Twitter and the network's music is provided by Michaela Moody. Michaela Moody 1 on Bandcamp. Morbid Audio Podcast Network.